Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. Yes, today, uh, continuation of the book of Acts, the narrative. And we're going to see today, one of the things that we're going to talk about is the importance of seeing God's word in its entirety. Old Testament, New Testament consists of 66 books, 40 different writers, but every word of of God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, the same Holy Spirit that was there in creation and that now lives in every believer in Christ. So I want to propose, you already concluded this, Um, but the Bible is one book. It's one story. It's all about God himself from beginning to end. After all, he is eternal, isn't he? He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, as it says in the scriptures. It's his book. God is also revealing who he is to mankind, who he created from dust. So right through, God is revealing himself, but he's also interactive with man, who he created from dust. In his word, his characteristics are displayed. Maybe I need to to stop moving, I don't know. Um, He's displayed in his creation, and then throughout, he's demonstrating his grace, Thank you, Mick. You've got the magic touch. All right. I can't. I've got Italian blood in me. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, I was going to start with a story then, but I better, not. better keep to the text. So God is revealing himself. He's displayed in his creation even today, even though we live in a corrupt world. But we, we just came back from New Zealand a month ago, visiting our son down in Queenstown. If you can't see God in creation, wow, it's just an amazing place. Anyway, so he's demonstrating his grace, mercy, love and judgment to a sometimes rebellious people that he created in his image. It also reveals what he will do, how he will provide a saviour one day and we'll read about that in Isaiah a little bit later. The saviour, the only begotten son of God as it's termed in that um, Isaiah 53 there, the suffering saviour, some have uh, coined it like that, who will ultimately give his life, that we may have life, that we may have eternal life. So we've all got stories to tell, haven't we? We've all got a story from the day we were born, even though we can't write things down when we're first born, but um, our parents soon tell us about how we grew up as little kids. But we've all got a story, even up until this present day. But what is our story like? How will it end? Ever thought how your story will end? What will it end like? What will your legacy be when you pass on from this life? I think about the the situation in Russia, Ukraine. How many people are perishing, not just soldiers on both sides, but civilians? Do they know the Lord? How many of them know the Lord? And daily as we, as we, maybe you don't, but you look in the news at what's happening, you think, how many of these people that are perishing know the Lord? I just caught up with a friend in South Africa 
And uh, we're just reminded of, of his tragic story of how his father passed away. Um, he, he shot himself, um, shot his girlfriend that he was having an affair with. His mother, his mother walks in from being out, sees this mess in her house, and the family is just traumatised. How did all this happen? How did this tragic event happen, leaving this family with basically zero? The breadwinner of the house is, is gone and he's had an affair on the side and this is the result. There's so many tragic stories out there. But there's also good stories, isn't there? There's also good stories and we're going to hear about that today about the Ethiopian. Um, there's, a, there's a song. I seem to be bringing songs into the sermon. Um, but this one's called People Need the Lord. Oh, sorry, go back to the map, Dave. Um, I was listening to Charles Swindle, Chuck Swindle, and he goes, you can't go through the book of Acts without maps. So, and it's so true. So I don't have the, oh, I forgot to get the pointer from you, Dave. He's, he's not here. But down Jerusalem, you see Caesarea, Joppa, Gaza. So that's the area that we're talking about today. Down, I mean, can you see it there? Pretty hard to see, eh? But yeah. Anyway, people need the Lord. This is the name of the song. So I'm just going to read I'm not going to sing it again, but just read it. It says, Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus hears. People need the Lord, people need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, here's the open door. People need the Lord, people need the Lord. When will we realise that people need the Lord? We are called to take the light to a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life. Only we can share. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. You got the theme there, right? When will we realize that we must give our lives for people need the Lord? Have you heard that one? Does anybody know that one? Yeah, it's great. The, the choir in the Bible school way back when we were in Bible school, Marie was in the choir. I never made it. But uh, yeah, they used to, used to sing that. It's very powerful, the reality that people need the Lord. So we live in a crazy world, don't we? Where there's wars and rumours of wars constantly whispering in our ear. Where moral values based on God's word have or are eroding before our very eyes. Where do we turn to? Where do we turn to for comfort? For, uh, for consolation, the news, the media, do we turn to vices? Do we let fear just grip our hearts, depression, uh, take hold of our lives? Do we just hibernate and don't want to confront what's out there? Okay, so we all have questions in life with what is happening in the world and maybe in our lives. And asking questions is, is not a bad thing, is it? Uh, asking the difficult questions in life. I heard you ladies had a question time the other night and I uh, hope that was very
very profitable. Um, but we all have questions and we need to ask the right questions because I believe in asking the right questions, it will just draw us closer to God. It will steer us towards him and ultimately we'll turn to him for everything in our life. Uh, David is a classic in the Psalms. He's always asking questions of the Lord. He's asking the Lord, in, like in Psalm 42, 9 here, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You ever felt like the Lord's forgotten you? That you're just out there on your own? Well, we know God is there because he says he is. Why do I go on mourning, he says, because of the oppression of my enemies? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? It's under mockery. Psalm 44, 23, he says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you, why do you hide your face and forget, your, forget our afflictions and oppression? Don't be afraid to ask questions. And we're going to get into that with the Ethiopian eunuch. He's asking questions. He doesn't understand the scriptures that he is reading. So he's asking questions. In the, in the Acts 8 narrative today, we have the Ethiopian official, as I mentioned, asking questions regarding who the lamb being led to the slaughter. And in God's providence, it was answered by someone, Philip, who was willing and ready to go where the Holy Spirit told him to go. Remember Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now we're heading off into the uttermost parts of the earth, into Africa. Going to the ends of the earth, wherever that may be, far or near, wherever, or, or whether it be towards the ones or the twos or the masses, it really doesn't matter where or who we go to. It should be just a matter of yielding, obeying the Spirit of God that indwells us. Again, the desired outcome for, for obeying God and going is that people made in God's image will be reconciled to him. That's the main reason we are here on earth as believers. Spirit of God living in us. The message is no matter where it is or to the ones or twos of the masses, he's asking us to go to every person that he sends us to. In heaven one day there's going to be people from every tongue, from every tribe and every nation. So last week we were introduced to Philip, a man who God had used because Philip had a desire to serve the Lord. He had a desire to serve the Lord at all cost. And he also seemed convinced or persuaded that he needed to serve God and telling people about him. And we heard about the flourishing ministry that he had amongst the Samaritans uh, last week, but in, in, during that time. He was obedient. He had a desire to, for people to know and to understand who the Messiah, Jesus, the Saviour was. And then out of the blue, the Lord just calls him. Here he is having a fruitful ministry in Samaria. And then the Lord just takes him out of that situation. And I was thinking, why, Lord, take him out of this situation? It's, it's so productive. We're seeing fruit for his ministry. People are coming to an understanding of who the Messiah is. But God takes him out of that situation and is preparing him for a, another mission, if you like. People... Well, God moves people on, doesn't he, sometimes? You ever been in a situation where you felt your ministry is going well or, you, or life is going well and God just picks you up and takes you out somewhere else? Do you, do you ask God why 
Why are you moving me out of this situation, out of this context? So, but how do we know God's will? That was another thought that came to me. How do we know God's will, when to move on, when to stay? Obviously, yes, we want the Holy Spirit's prompting. And what are some practical things to know God's will? And uh, as I reflected on our life, because we've moved around a bit as a family, we've had to make some serious decisions about whether to stay or go or to move somewhere else, leave family, come back to family. And I boiled it down to, I would say, three things. Pray. So these are not, you know, like out-of-this-world ideas, but pray. Earnestly pray, seeking God. God, if you'll place something on my heart, it's like when we went to South Africa, we didn't want to go. If I could say particularly my wife, she didn't want to go to Africa. And... Um, but God laid such a burden on our heart to, to go and to be involved in the ministry over there. But we prayed earnestly, asking the Lord what to do. And we sought godly advice. So pray earnestly, seek godly counsel advice. Get people around you. They can even be critical of what you're, what you're thinking as well. And to ask those hard questions. And so, yeah, seek godly advice. And then the third one is just go. Go where the Lord would have you to go. Be obedient, whether it's across the street or around the world, whatever it might be. Uh, Hebrews 11 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. It's faith, isn't it? Whatever we do, wherever we go, it's by faith. We are trusting God. We're praying earnestly. God, please lead us. So we can know your will and then we're seeking godly counsel advice and then we're just going so the spirit of god here tells philip to up and move out of this fruitful ministry that he was having currently and go to the desert that's how we felt when we went to south africa we were going to the desert it wasn't but it was like that in our hearts but god God had us to go. We were going for three years, then we were going for five years, and then ended up for ten years. So there you go. And nothing wrong with South Africa. Hey, Grant, Tracy's a great place. <laughs> but you've got to know where God has you. So the Lord leads Philip, and there he goes. He's going into the desert, leaving the multitudes, and he's going to the one. So the, the map up here... Uh, thanks, Dave. So just talk a little bit about the eunuch. Um, the eunuch is an official of Queen Candace of Ethiopia, current-day Sudan area. It was a bit hard to get the, 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 the borders. There wasn't very many political borders back then. Uh, he had been to worship God in the outer courts of the temple. He'd been to Jerusalem, which probably means he was a Jewish proselyte Somewhere, somehow, as a Gentile man, he heard about Yahweh, the one true God, and believed in him, and thus he went to Jerusalem with a desire to worship God. A eunuch is someone that has been castrated from the purpose of being tr a trusted servant in a royal family. In Esther chapter 1, 10, Esther 4, 4, Daniel 1, 9, talks about uh, eunuchs and their roles. So that's the king or queen. 
would have a male servant, they would castrate them so that they wouldn't be involved in sexual activities and also to prevent from a plotting or something to over overthrow their kingdom. Eunuchs were employed in many other ancient societies, including ancient Middle East, Greece, Rome, China, Korea, Thailand, and um, even today in India, I was looking on the internet there, there's communities of eunuchs, and they dedicate their lives to whatever they do there. Interesting read if you want to look it up. So for this official, Ethiopian official, it was obvious that he had a desire not only to worship God, but to know him more. Not just only to worship God, but he wanted to know God better. So he actually obtains a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and probably very expensive. Thus, again, he obviously saw the value, the value of investing in the scriptures. Then as he was reading on the way home, he's struggling to understand what he's reading. So God brings Philip along. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he runs and he draws closer to the Ethiopian official and you can hear him reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah and especially this section here. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from him. So Philip... From the masses to the one, God sends him there and obviously he listens to the Holy Spirit ready to answer the Ethiopian's question. I don't know, did anybody get a chance to read, maybe I shouldn't ask that, read Isaiah 53 just to get the whole context here. I don't really have time to go through it all but because um, we're just taking a little section out there. But Isaiah 53 just speaks about our Lord Jesus so much and what he did for us. So to me, this is, like I said earlier, this is demonstrating that the Word of God is one book. It's one story. It's highlighting one of the ongoing major themes that started in Genesis 3.15 when God promised the one will come, the seed of the woman, in Genesis 3.15 where it said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his seal. So it's being highlighted here again in Isaiah. It's a theme that runs through the scripture, that a saviour will come, a redeemer, one that would pay the price for mankind's sin. So in this section in Genesis, uh, this is after Lucifer's rebellion, rebellion, Adam and Eve had sinned against God, their creator, the Lord God was casting a judgment upon them. And although it was severe consequences that came upon them because of their action, God still gave hope. The seed of the woman would come one day and crush the, 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 the serpent, will crush his head. So this is, this is hope. This is spelt out here in Isaiah 53. So Philip running towards the Ethiopian is now be invited to sit down into the chariot and bring clarity by the power of the Holy Spirit explaining what the Ethiopian is reading. So verse 34 says that, the, that Philip preached Jesus to him. Did you get that? Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian. He was filling in the gaps. 
he was, I don't know where he started or what he exactly said, but I think we get a pretty good idea of what we've been reading in Acts so far. In Acts chapter 2 with Peter and his preaching and the others and Peter and John in Acts 4 and then Stephen in Acts 7, Philip in Acts, in Acts 8. So in these verses, and what stood out to me was, uh, in verse 35 it says that Philip opened his mouth. It's interesting, in the Bible study the other night, we were talking about Moses and Exodus there and how he was making all these excuses of he's not eloquent enough, you know, bring my brother Aaron, whatever. And, uh, and, but God says, you know, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'm going to help you speak the words of life. And so here's Philip. He opens his mouth, trusting the Holy Spirit to put those words there. And so he, he declares to the Ethiopian the words of life. We spoke about that a few weeks back. And then that took me to the scriptures in, uh, in Luke uh, 24. Remember the two guys walking on the road to Emmaus? Jesus had died. That he, they hadn't quite caught that he, he was resurrected yet. But then here, here he comes, Jesus walking beside them. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. And then as they're walking, Jesus started where? With the prophets. So he went back. And he's, and he, and he's giving background, which they, which they probably heard. But he's giving background and he's giving that information that they needed to make uh, a good decision, a right decision based on truth. And what I loved uh, as, as they were going through, as you read down through that narrative in Luke, it says, then their eyes were open. That's a very, very, to me, that's a very powerful statement. Here was Jesus walking alongside them. They didn't even recognize him. But then as, as the, as the, word of God was taught to them by, by Christ himself, then it says that their eyes were open. Oh, yeah, and the lights came on. And it's the same thing happening here for the Ethiopian eunuch. As Philip is sharing the word of God with him, then what's happening? His, his, his understanding is coming from the truth of God's word that has been declared to him. So giving the background, even today, I'm th I was thinking, even today, Giving the background, giving the bigger picture and sharing the gospel, I believe is critical. It's essential. We can't assume that people understand even who God is or who Jesus is these days. There's so much confusion out there. The importance of giving the background, I believe, is critical today. One needs to give the context and the clarity, not just the content. Do you like that one, Dave? I've got the one. <laughs> one needs to give the context and the clarity, not just the content. So Philip, guided by the Holy Spirit, is used of God to explain the Old Testament scripture to bring clarity to the Ethiopian eunuch. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. A sheep, a lamb, is referring to Jesus, the Messiah, God's only son who came to this sinful earth um, for mankind, who, reject, who was rejected and despised. And knowing it was his father's will, Christ, he would be falsely accused by religious authorities. His body broken, whipping, whipped and beaten. He was nailed to a wooden cross, 
crowns of thorns placed on his head, then suffocating and experiencing an agonizing death, eventually dying for all mankind, past, present and future. For every person, for every tongue, tribe and nation, for their sin and rebellion against the holy and righteous God, their creator. He, Jesus, was then buried according to the scriptures, like it says in Corinthians 15. And on the third day, he arose from the grave victoriously. And after some time, he went to heaven and is now seated at his right hand, interceding for us and so much more. So what did Philip say to the Ethiopian eunuch as he was expounding, coming to an end? Okay, you have to pray this prayer now, right? You have to receive a second blessing. You need to do this. You must stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, A, B, C, D. You think that's what Philip said to him? No. There was nothing like that. What did, um, what did Peter, we're not in Acts uh, 16 yet, but what did, what did Peter say to the Philippian jailer? Believe. Believe. Okay, he's been given the background, he's been given the context, he's been given clarity on the teaching of God's word. And then Philip says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to hear exactly what they said uh, in just a sec here. And this is what truth does, folks. You acknowledge it. You receive it. You acknowledge it. You, you see it to be true. And then you have to act upon it. You have to act upon it. Thus, as they continued... Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, as they continued to travel, the truth of Jesus and Messiah was expanded to him. And then the Ethiopian eunuch says, and they're in the desert, don't forget, what stops me from being baptized? What stops me from being baptized? So in verse 37, Philip says these words, if you believe with all your heart, you may. If you believe with all your heart, you may. You may. Again, no do's and don'ts, not even a prayer. It's believing. Believing in what Christ has done on your behalf. So out of the chariot they get, the Ethiopian proselyte, now a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus and Messiah, is immersed in the water by Philip. And this is one of the places in Scripture that we get the meaning from and how to baptize people who have truly given their life to Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us what Philip said to the Ethiopian while they, were, while they were in the water, but what we do know, they went down into the water, meaning that they went down, they were covered by water. And we understand it was signifying what had taken place verbally, what he had uh, professed verbally, and then the action, the identifying what had happened internally was now, was now shown uh, externally. His death, burial, and resurrection. And then who was watching? Like this, this Ethiopian official wouldn't have been travelling on his own. Like he's an important man, travelling all the way back down from Jerusalem, down, down south, and uh, heading, heading back home. So I would say the other people, his servants and that, would have been watching everything that was, that was happening. So then Philip, you ever thought about this? He was transported. <laughs> he's, he's gone. 
Holy Spirit calls him. God, he's trans, he's um, we'll get to that in a minute. He's gone down to to um, uh, Ashdod and then to to Caesarea. But it says that the when they when they parted the Ethiopian official, he continued on his journey and he was rejoicing. He was rejoicing, obviously, in what had taken place. He heard the word of God in its context. And then it brought understanding, it brought clarity, and ultimately believing in the Lord Jesus. And so here's the word of God going out from Jerusalem, from Judea, Samaria, and now it's going to the uttermost parts of the earth. And church history tells us that even through, that through the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, today, if you, the, the Coptic church in Egypt, down in Ethiopia, parts of Sudan there, they trace their history back to the Ethiopian eunuch. So the message went out, it went down, and the gospel was going out to the ends of the earth. So hence, through the life of Philip, we are seeing the result of going to the ends of the earth. And as, um, as Philip uh, as said here, Philip continues his ongoing desire to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, sharing about Christ the Messiah wherever he went. So, like I mentioned, he went to Ashdod. What was he doing there? Sharing God's word. He went to Caesarea, and he was sharing the word of God there. So, wherever he went, he was sharing God's word. He was being obedient to the Spirit of God. So, it only takes one person, doesn't it? Here we see one Ethiopian that believed in Christ, and then we see the gospel going down to the ends of the earth, down into Africa. And churches were born. People became believers in the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. So Philip was with the masses. He went to the one, and then what happened? One went, and it went to the masses again. We don't know what God's going to do. When the opportunities come our way, as we share God's word with others, we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know what we're going to say sometimes. I pray very often, all the time, Lord, put the words in my mouth because I really don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to mess it up. But over and over again, we see God, who is faithful, put the words in our mouth. So we're just going to see um, the passion of Christ. The video clip there goes for about five minutes. So... Yeah, it's, it's confronting, so feel free just to bow your head when you close your eyes or whatever. But um, uh, this, is, this is what the Ethiopian eunuch came to grips with, of what Christ did, the Messiah, the seed of the woman did on his behalf. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.